I V M I V M Hello and welcome to the Wire Talks. I am Siddharth Bhatia. The assembly elections in West Bengal have turned into a battle for survival for the incumbent Mamata Banerjee, who's facing an unprecedented BJP onslaught with heavyweights like the Prime Minister and the Home Minister of India, Narendra Modi and Amit Shah respectively, pulling out all stops against her. The BJP has never been able to win West Bengal and it is a big prize for the party. Hindutva, unheard of in the state, has made big inroads and threatens to alter the social structure of this state. If we listen to the big media, especially if you are outside the state, which is giving mainly one side of the story, the BJP has already won. Now, how much of this is hype? How much of this is reality? And is Bengal today fundamentally different than even a decade ago? Today's guest, Dr. Ranbir Samadar, is uh, one of the best-known political scientists of West Bengal, in fact, even of India. He's the author of several books and currently holds the Distinguished Chair in Migration and Post-Migration Studies at the Mahanirban Calcutta Research Group. He is the best person to analyze what exactly is happening in the state and the future implications of this electoral battle. We'll be back after a short break to continue our discussion with Dr. Samadar about Bengal. Dr. Samadar, welcome to the Wire Talks. Now, all of us who are outside West Bengal are getting a narrative on a daily basis that Mamta Banerjee and the Trinamool Congress, who have been in power since 2011, are definitely losing. How would you sit this situation sitting inside the state? Okay, thank you for having me over in your program. It's true that from outside, the situation seems as you have described it. And I must say that even from inside, there is a quite a sizable segment of the society which thinks that the political order may change. So. I wouldn't put it as something which is more like a perception from outside and a media presentation and something else is happening inside. But let me put it this way, and I hope that as the conversation progresses, we'll be able to bring out the point that I want to make initially is that it's an extremely tense and a terse kind of social war that we have entered. So the, it may be that if the BJP wins, the social order will change. But on the other hand, that the BJP is giving so much attention to Bengal also speaks of some of the changes that are already underway. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, these are not being talked about. But on the other hand, equally, you may say, probably fortunately, the populist. I mean, I, I describe Mamata Banerjee's movement, as you know, in my writings, I have said they're a classic populist movement. The populists are aware of what is happening in their own way, not in a very rational or, you know, in the orderly social science way, but in the populist way, they understand that the stakes are very high. And so, as my introductory remark, I would say that the stakes are very high on both the sides, precisely because of two reasons. One is that some of the social changes are already underway, 
and that is reflected. But the second is also something that the tussle or the war, as I put it, it's a social war, almost a civil war situation in Bengal now in the villages and the small towns, killings and everything. Everyone is throwing into the battle whatever one has in the armory where it has spun out of control. And the event has gone on a spiral. It has its own logic. And the logic is now actually pushing the event to unfold further. This is, uh, of course, you know, one has read about how at a very fundamental grassroots level, some of West Bengal's most cherished traditions have undergone a change. But are you then suggesting that this battle is not only political, as in, you know, the incumbent has not provided security, jobs, etc., etc., but also sociocultural. So in that sense, these are major shifts that are driving what the battle is all about and perhaps the results will be all about. This is partly true, meaning that partly I am suggesting, but I am also suggesting, as I pointed out, that it's a battle between two political formations and a battle that will, perhaps I am making too much, too sweeping a generalization, but I still think that the outcome of the battle between, on one hand, let's say the neoliberal, extremely authoritarian way of ruling the country and the populist resistance to it, which depends on its welfare policy, social protection policy of the poor, and represents in an extremely haphazard and anarchic way the lower depths of society, it's a battle between two formations, where the earlier liberal and left political formations, to my mind, they are outdated. They are not able to cope with the evolving situation. But that, as I said, relates to some of the fundamental transformations that are going on in West Bengal society. If I just can add what I am alluding to when I say, once let us take the case of caste, the intermediary caste, I cannot tell with, uh, you know, definitive, I can't give you a definitive since the electoral figures are yet to come out. But whatever I understand of the pre-electoral time and now, that you have the lower caste and the lower orders of society, which are by and large listening to the government. By and large saying that Didi is there, she will protect us. By and large saying that, well, there is corruption, well, these small corrupt people are ruining, but they are ruining Didi's name. But so long as Didi is there, she will protect us. So one can you have across the length and breadth of the state, you have this image of the leader who protects the poor. And at every opportunity, within her limits, she looks after us. And on the other hand, you have a neoliberal power which knows how to politically use the fault lines within the society. So the fault lines are not new, but certainly these fault lines have aggravated in the last 20 years. Caste is one where middle caste have not only been vacillating, but if my reading is right, there is a sizable chunk of the middle caste that have gone over to the right side. So when you see that band of youth flocking and following uh, Mithun Chakraborty or Amit Shah or you know thousands of people listening to Modi, it is not all cooked up. It is not all a matter of giving out money, the promissory notes, which the Trinamool is saying, which are all true. But at the same time, we cannot deny the fact that the neoliberals have been able to win over to their side a section of population 
by splitting each caste into subcastes and by winning over a sizable section of the middle caste to their side. Say the question of the Nomoshudros, the Matua, over which so much is being now told over the media, as you know, Amit Shah, when Modi has held meetings. I mean, the Matua question has become... Now, Nomoshudros, they are a Dalit caste. But they are different from other Dalit caste precisely because they are refugees. And while Mamata is telling that you have already got citizenship, you are getting votes. What else do you want? And we are giving you welfare exactly in the same measure we give it to others. But BJP is saying, you are still not citizens. You remain refugees. And I will give you the citizenship identity where the CAA comes into play. Now, by in this way, managing at least a sizable section of Motua mobilization, you do two things. One, you separate the Motua from the general Dalit question. So the Bauris, the Bagdis, the Pondokotriyos, the Rajbongshis, and all other Dalits who are in the similar situation of being the lower order of the society. But on the other hand, the government has been able to, if my understanding is correct, at least a large section of the Motua community to decide that you will get security only when you get citizenship. So therefore, I am here. And this thing is being played out in each of the big districts, each of the big population groups. So you see something which you saw in Bihar and in UP, where you know that Dalits would be divided into Dalits and Mahadalits. And therefore, when I say that the transformation is already on, partly there is a very big economic reason, but I do not know whether we can discuss that or whether we have interest in that. But on the other hand, typically when you say of social justice, the governmental form of social justice now has evolved into really the whole question of claim making according to governmental forms. So Mahadalits are a separate group, as you know, whatever has happened in North Bihar with regard to Dalit politics. Similarly, you are having the same situation here. It has begun, but my understanding is that Bengal will take the Bihar, UP and other ways. And with elections, this is not going to change. That's why I said that we are already entered a social war and uh, Mamata may win this time, may lose this time. If Mamata loses, the process actually accelerates. But if she doesn't lose, she will have to find really innovative strategies how to combine the present form of social justice with her form of spreading the welfare net all around. How does she combine the both? It's to be seen. These changes or this kind of, it's pretty fluid, these changes, but these changes could not, or these perceptions could not have happened overnight. It must have taken years to build up. Or are you saying that, unlike last time when, you know, the uh, BJP just made a dent into uh, West Bengal, this time it has worked only for this election rather than as part of a long continuum started, say, 15, 20 years ago, by the RSS, by the other Hindutva movement, to start putting these structures and these ideas into their grounds fertile. I would say that both of your suggestions are valid in the sense that the RSS focusing on Adivasis, saying they are Mulvasis or Banavasis, to the Hinduization, to focusing on specific groups, to understanding what is the social conflict or what is the fault line in the society that is at stake uh, in, in a political battle. 
classic is the case of the Rajbumshis and uh, in the in in Kuchbihar where uh, Amit Shah is giving great emphasis. And we may say this is going on for twenty years, but certainly in the last ten years, this has accelerated, or in the last five or six years. And therefore, I do not buy the general thing that the Lok Sabha election is an exception to the next Vidhan Sabha election. In other words, what was what happened in 2019 was an exceptional thing. It was valid for a Lok Sabha election, but it doesn't have any relevance to the local assembly election. I think that uh, the BJP's uh, voting percentage uh, may remain the same, which is quite high, 39 point something or 40 something. It may go down maximum little bit. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Trinamool's voting percentage is which percentage, which is 44, 43 point something. And its best ever performance was very good, 44 point something. So even in the most difficult time in 2019, it was nearly 44 percent. So I think it will command the same thing. But in terms of getting a hold in society, uh, they have done. What is important is that because you raise the question of structure, I do not think that BJP could put the structure in place. I think that the election actually gives. The whether the BJP or the Trinamool, uh, the occasion to now build these structures in the society to go ahead. And as I said, that whether you speak of uh, the caste and subcaste, whether you speak of some of the urban conglomerates, they would not have spent so much money, or they would not have spent so much effort to win over some of the PMC people if they had structures in place. And as you could see, that uh, their Parliamentarians have also been filled in. So election is not merely a representation of what is happening or a reflection of what is happening. Election is a crucial factor in reorganizing the society along either the populist welfareist line or the right-wing authoritarian neoliberal line. If there were no elections, I do not think that BJP's moves would have, you know, Uh, been uh, so evident or uh, so you know they would not have been reinforced to the extent they are being done now. So coming to the urban, because you specifically mentioned it, Kolkata is being a you know has a influence far beyond its size. Of course, it's the capital, it's the cultural capital, but uh, Kolkata also has. Shall we say, for want of a better word, which we hear all the time, the elite Padrilok, who you know, small in number, very, very, very major voice in the society, culturally and maybe politically. I understand that they were pro Mamta at one time, but no longer. But are they seeing hope in a formation like BJP? I mean, in the sense. And I mean them and the new middle classes of uh, urban areas. Are they seeing positive uh, hope in uh, Narendra Modi and the BJP, or are they saying we dislike her so much and she is a no-hoper that we should turn to an alternative? Anything is better. Partly, your second possibility is partly right in the sense that the middle classes, the large chunk of them, seems to be fed up with the populists. Partly because you know the whole question of corruption at local level, etc., etc. Though the middle classes had to pay very, didn't have to pay much for the corrupt practices. It's rather the poorer people and the business people probably they had to pay more. But on the other hand, 
the middle class is unhappy with the government because they think that the government has not done enough for them. So while there has been evident infrastructural improvement, but the fact that the local government would not give dearness allowance, which is very crucial for salaried people, college, teacher, government employees, thousands and thousands of people. And in West Bengal, government employment and college and university employment, this is a very, very big thing. The private sector is important, but really government is, the public economy is very important in West Bengal. And here they are unhappy because the government doesn't give them the dearness allowance to the extent that the center gives them. To the extent that it is hard to believe that the left-oriented, CPM-controlled teachers, uh, you know, organization in Jadapur University went on a deputation to the governor with the memorandum that their due dearness allowance is not being paid. Uh, So given the political, uh, you know, the balance of power in West Bengal, the different centers of mobilization, and the crucial role that university and college teachers play, uh, when the poorer people ask, but you are already getting huge amount of money, what about the millions of unorganized workers who just do not have any provision of dearness allowance? So if the government says we can't do it, and uh, the chief minister, the education minister, with folded hands repeatedly said, we are trying to improve, but we can't pay at the rate at which the center paid, but it cut no ice. But this is just one example, but you know, one can go on and on with the way in which the new apartments have come where they had to pay for having the local construction, the same thing which they used to can do in Kerala, where, for example, if you want to bring in bricks and other things, cement and all that, you pay to the local C2 and nobody took objection to that. But here now it is said as syndicates. Now, when you say that you are forced to pay from the local shop, which is true, they are forced to pay. But at the same time, corruption has acquired a larger-than-life image in the public discourse. And this so-called public discourse is the discourse of the middle class through what you know, the media channels, which you know much better than I, its configuration, etc. But on the other hand, where I see things little differently from you, is that I do not think that they command so much attention or they command, you know, the channels of political mobilization, ideational mobilization, to the extent that they did 20 years or 15 years back in Buddhadev Bhattacharya's time. So you were right that only for a time being the city intellectuals, uh, you know, supported Mamata. But then the populace understood that they live and die, they swim and sink with the fact that whether they would be close to the slum dwellers, whether they would be close to the, as I said, the lower orders of society. Same is in villages, which is a bit unfortunate if you think in terms of the, you know, the signs of mobilization in war, that by leaving all hope that it can win over the middle classes, particularly the the very articulate sections, the chatterity you may call, to their side, part of them has gone over to CPM. So there is this whole idea that Bengal was much cleaner. Bengal is dirty now. Bengal had a glorious past and Bengal is now in the pits. So this idea of a golden age of Bengal, and now with the ignoramus, this illiterate, the 
women who can't even pronounce English properly. The diction is very bad. You know, and everything you have to see only the kind of mock and uh, the kind of derision with which the middle class has to look at this government. So you have now a place which is coming back to your question, which is interesting that on one hand, it is true that the middle classes, a good section is against the government and may go over to BJP, may vote for CPM, but they may think voting for CPM may be a wastage of vote, so they may give vote to CPM. But Calcutta, even in the last election, remained firmly with TMC precisely because of the votes of the slum dwellers. Along with the fact where I shall end is that what does then Mamata do if it thinks that wing the middle class is not the path? What it does is that it spreads the word around the entire length and breadth of the land that our 19th century culture was the great. They thought for the poor. They thought for the women, so it is whether it is Bidashagor, it is Tagore, you know, all those great icons of the 19th and early 20th century. So they are the path provider. To them, we have to look. And they looked for common people. They provided, you know, guided social reforms. They spoke of uh, the great, uh, you know, uh, heritage of Bengal. So if the current intellectual do not think we are worthy of the heritage, it doesn't matter because that mediation is not necessary. So you have a bizarre, not a bizarre, but a kind of improbable and an implausible scenario where Vivekananda, Bidashagor, Tagore, everyone is being invoked for all kinds of reason. With your, uh, or with my own fine literary and historical sense, I would say these are false invocations. But who cares about whether true or false? The fact is that if you want to cross the road and if you have to wait for the traffic signal, I don't know when you last visited Calcutta, you know now Tagore songs are played out on the street corners. So that people look to listen to the music and they wait quietly till the green signal is on. So they have imitated Tokyo also. So that's how the culture is there, but its dynamics is different. So, uh, Dr. Samadhar, I'm going to make a very generic and generalized statement, and you'll have to pardon me here. But I think nostalgia is a embedded in the Bengali's DNA, especially the DNA of the articulate middle classes, that that was better. Because if they are now even considering to think that CPM rule was better when for years they complained about the CPM and especially in the last few years and said that, you know, CPM has become anti-private sector, etc. So it's clearly always looking to the past. Definitely, we've seen that in other parts of the country in 2014 and after, even today, that the danger definitely is saying any devil is better than the current one. And to that extent, if they say CPM was great, we loved it, alas, but it's not going to uh, make a comeback, so let's move to another alternative. And that, I think, is one of the things that the BJP is a master at, to say we provide the alternative and then wean away that dissatisfied vote. You were... Again, I think you have hit the point. If you look at 2019 election, uh, CPM's vote share came down exactly, almost exactly to the proportion or to the extent to which uh, the part of that vote share went over to BJP. But 
how much of it was urban and how much of it was rural, it's there, but I think it was evenly distributed. So my original comment where middle class, uh, a sizable section is going over to BJP and uh, traders, you know, go down owners, old storage owners, small bus, uh, you know, bus syndicate, etc., etc., to the salaried, a large section of the salaried people in the city. But uh, on nostalgia, if you say, I mean, at one level, it's very general. I think each nation is nostalgic. To the extent that you are a nation, you always look to your past, to your anti-colonial past, etc. So I do not think in terms of nostalgia, uh, the invocation of the 19th century is exceptional. But what is exceptional or what is exceptional, but perhaps should be accepted by now as uh, an inevitable aspect of the evolving story is that the way 19th century, the story of the Renaissance is being made popular today. So that the story of the 19th century is not merely Tagore's famous story of uh, Nostroni or Satyajitri is probably the best film he made, uh, Charulata. So it's not only that of how Bengalis became liberals, uh, started in believing the virtues of reason, etc., etc. But now it's something unique that how do you spread the ideas of the 19th century to the villages and thereby win elections or make your mobilization? But on the other hand, your, that part is right, that that middle class which thinks that it is the best, that the 19th century can be best protected only when we remove this uh, ignorant lady. And which is why you can see that BJP has done two things, and again, which are not completely without historical roots. One is specifically suggesting that Bengal's cultural tradition was to a large extent high caste as well as Hindu, both of which are true. And secondly, that we shall redeem the prestige of Bengal. So why Bengal has gone down today? How do you do Shonar Bangla, this phrase, which is Tagore's phrase, which is be, has been resurrected by Modi and others, precisely by giving money to the elite institutions, precisely by setting up central medical institutions, by setting up central universities, et cetera, et cetera, adding great roads and all that. So Bengal can retrieve the lost glory only if materially, it becomes prosperous. But Bengal is so poor that it is actually unworthy of the glorious 19th century Bengal. So that is where the middle class has been able to make peace with its conscience. And I think a good section of the middle class and the middle caste has gone over to the right side. Question would be, could that be avoided? I don't think. Because the way in which lower classes are being mobilized to this extent, almost as I indicated, to that extent, the middle classes are abhorring. They are repelled at the idea that what is this happening to Rovindra Shongit? What is this happening? You know, one of the big charges, and I will again stop, against Mamata is that indiscriminately she opens up colleges in small towns and uh, each district towns because she has made a promise each district would have a university. And she doesn't care about the standard of the university, which again is partly true. She thinks that let us open a university first. Let's open a college first. Why should a student go to 50 kilometers to join a college? And slowly things will improve. 
but I don't want to name names. Even some of my best leftist friends, they wrote in newspaper, what kind of institution builder is this woman who doesn't think of improving the institutions, rather keeps on adding. So you can see the, the populist negotiation of the problematic and the problem that, or the issue that the middle classes, the literate classes have with this populist way of managing society. Coming to the minorities, now Bengal is, I think, roughly 30% Muslim. And uh, earlier it used to be almost taken for granted that these people will stand by Mamta because uh, they don't want to go over to the BJP. And at the same time, uh, she has reached out to them. So much so that, uh, you know, there are uh, filthy rumors that she's actually a Muslim. And uh, and this has been told to me by people highly educated, highly liberal, otherwise world travel, etc., etc. And the other thing is that she panders to them. But now Mr. Amit Shah actually says that even they are moving away from her. So my question quickly is in two parts. One, are they uh, going to uh, desert her when it comes uh, to voting? And secondly, how significant is the Muslim vote in the larger scheme of things? See, voting percentage-wise, obviously, in a good chunk of the seats, the Muslim votes are crucial. So 27% of the electorate might be little more, little less, but roughly 27-28% of the electorate Muslim. Plus, it's a border state. So you have the entire question of immigration, illegal immigration, CA, NRC, etc., etc. And as you know, Mamata Banerjee was called through the one-month-long election campaign in Nandigram, whether she was present or not, as Mamata Begum. And finally, for the last two days, there were others, some people who were calling her Begum Khaleda Jia, Begum Khaleda, etc. And then all the things that you say. And as you know, institutionally, the election commission, nobody took exception to that. Even the left parties did not come out vocally that what is this kind of campaign. So you may have a situation where two things will happen. And if the mission of the opposition is to crack the Muslim vote, then there are two things. One is that split the vote by whether it is other Muslim organizations that will fight the vote on the ground that Mamata did not protect the Muslims properly. She only gave a uh, kind of a fig leaf protection. It wasn't improvement at all. It wasn't welfare at all. And Muslims are where they were, which is the argument of the, the front, meaning the CPM, Siddiqui, and Congress, the main argument. And now, Asauddin Waisi has again come back. So you have on one hand where Muslims will be told that, you know, Mamata did nothing for them. Now, it will be forgotten, of course, that if Mamata did something for all, it was partly also to that extent, it was for Muslims also. And one can see it was no better, no worse. In the sense that to the extent that all have got relief and all have got protection, Muslims were included in it, Dalits were included in it, and uh, Namashudras in particular were included in it. If you find fault with that development policy, you find fault with the entire thing. But on the other hand, I do not rule out that it may take away some votes. Though I do not think so, that it will do much damage. But the greater damage is from something else. Recall Mujaffar Nagar Rai. 
Now in after Mujaffarnagar riot, it is now established that Muslims, a sizable number of Muslims voted for BJP. So you may have a situation where Muslims, if they think that Mamata is not coming back to power, who will protect them? So you will have a situation, and I do not rule it out, that Muslims may, a chunk of them may go over to other parties. As I said, that a small chunk may go over to what you call the third alternative, which is the CPM, the Congress, and the Siddiqui. Uh, and on the other hand, you may find in some of the border districts and some where people may say that if they think that Mamata will not win, then they may decide. Because ultimately, how they vote will be known to the local community. You can't keep it. You can't keep it, uh, you know, a secret. It is all in the local communities. So BJP will know, central forces will know, everybody will know. So uh, the, therefore, the technical question that comes, therefore, is that given that the elections have been arranged in an eight-phase structure, which then becomes very crucial, how do you compete or the adversaries will compete with each other in giving confidence to the rank and file? And therefore, as you know, that I have already raised the image of the war. That in the war, one of the things is that you must assure your soldiers that you are not leaving them behind. That you are, that, that till the last soldier, you will be there to protect them. Only then the soldiers will fight. But what happens if the soldiers think that the leader will not be there? Some of them will immediately, you know, run away from the battle. So the war situation is not merely a metaphor. I mean it that Bengal is in the midst of a social war and it is, pardon me for making this rash remark, but I just can't find out a different way because the terms are very well known. It's not exactly a classic class war, but it is more of a civil war where each segment is out to fight the other so that the segment can remain or stay alive for the next round of, you know, the, the battle. So you have a civil war situation in the political sense, you have already entered a social war where it is crucial for both Mamata and the other party, both the parties, to actually tell the people, look, we are winning. This could not have been the case had it been a one-phase election or a two-phase election. And precisely, therefore, it's an eight-phase election where money, other kinds of resources, your vocabulary, your dialogue, your media, everything will be brought to be marshaled so that people can be assured we are winning. Therefore, vote for us. My last question is just to wind up and understand how it's going to shape up. Uh, do you give much uh, weightage to the uh, third element in the, in the fray, which is the Congress left combined along with uh, one Muslim party? Uh, do you think that they are going to still retain some old residual vote? Or do you think they will pick up the spillover, those who don't want to go to either of the big ones? How will it eventually end when the chips are finally, when, when the votes are counted? What do you expect the third alternative? What position do you expect the third alternative to be at? On one, two, three, but in terms of standing. Combined they may retain 10 to 12% of the votes they had combined. So I do not think it will go up, but it will not surprise me if it goes up. 
little bit. On the other hand, how this will play out will be important in the perspective of how much these two main contenders get or how many seats they get. So one doesn't rule out or one should not rule out that finally, if it is a kind of a hung or a very near situation, it's a close situation, that you may find that the front is giving support to the Trinamool in forming the government or in making the government stable. I don't think they will make the government stable, but they will. if there is a question of forming the government, they may do it, but they will extract their price. And I don't think Mamata will have any, uh, you know, peace at night. I do not think. Only when, if she gets over 180, then of course it means that there is a general turn towards her, which may then roll over to, you know, Morsi. So it all partly depends on how it plays out. But in terms of politics, the question of the middle space, because frankly, the CPM, the Congress, and uh, Siddiqui, Abbas Siddiqui, they occupy the middle space. The middle classes they will get. They will get other sections of the middle caste and some sections of the poorer class because of CPM's, the left's long movement. But politically, this is the middle space. And that middle space, whether it will be squeezed out in the process of kind of this, you know, the epic kind of tussle that is going on, that will be extremely, you know, significant for uh, the further evolution of the, you know, the post-electoral time. And Mamata is saying again and again, give me 200, because there are still turncoats in my party, which actually she's saying the truth that her party being a populist party, it has all kinds of people. But nobody is saying that it has, in fact, the most precious Dalit writer who has been fielded as a candidate or Birbaha Shoren, again, a very young Shantali woman who has become the candidate. Mamata has changed 52 of her sitting MLAs and young candidates have been fielded. But people are all reporting about the JNU candidates, SFI candidates, you know, the typical middle class attraction towards the literate sections. So the, how the middle space in the battle will play out and whether it will be squeezed out will be something that is very important. And unfortunately, Mamata seems to be not much aware of the significance of the middle space. So that was a, actually a very in-depth look at West Bengal, something that we don't get on a daily basis because uh, channels are uh, spewing out propaganda, print devotes that much space and no more, sitting far away, but watching it with keen interest, I think uh, this kind of analysis really helps us make up our mind about what exactly is going on. We'll know the results soon enough in about three weeks. But thank you very much, Dr. Ranbir Samadar. That was a masterly analysis of the situation in your state, which can come from only having observed it for many years. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for joining us, Doctor. But also listeners, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next week once again with The Wire Talks. Thank you. Thank you. You can check out this podcast and other interesting ones on The Wire website, the IVM podcast website, app, or wherever else that you get your podcasts. Goodbye from me, Siddharth Bhatia and the Wired Talks podcast team.